0: You've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Grief and Rebirth podcast. It's been a snowy, rainy week here in New Jersey, but hopefully it's been much nicer in St. Louis, Missouri, where Christy Peck, today's very uplifting and inspiring guest, is from. Christy is the author of Coming Home, a love story it is Christy's first book in a series of three about her own personal healing transformation which led her to work as an intuitive healer and spiritual teacher I especially resonated with what Christy teaches in her book about living a conscious lifestyle so Christy a warm welcome to grief and rebirth podcast I know this is going to be a riveting conversation between us please share with our listeners What inspired you to write Coming Home, a love story? Oh, thank you, Irene. Hi, everybody.
1: It's so wonderful to be here. Um, You know, I really never thought of myself as a writer, per se. I had um, walked away from a career that I had had for 25 years. I was looking for something to fill the void. I recognized that the void had been there for a while. I was looking for something, and I started paying attention to How things just kept getting linked together, or I would hear the same thing over and over. I can remember from when my first son was born, and even before that, being at social functions and telling stories, and people would say, You're such a good storyteller. Or I would be working with teachers, giving a training, and teachers would say, Have you ever thought about writing a book? You should do this. And those stories just kept coming and coming. And so when I walked away and literally found myself in that moment of sitting on the couch that day, crying and thinking, what am I doing here? How did I get here? I started to just pay attention to the little things showing up. And one day I was at an event. It was my first time at this event. I just decided that morning to show up. I show up. The lady even said to me, well, we really don't talk about parenting because that was my thing that I thought I was all about was just that. And so I said, "That's okay, I'm going to come anyway." So I sat there, and the topic that day was parenting, of course, just like she said, it never talked is about parenting, but it was that day, and I met a woman, and that woman literally, we started talking about her situation. She was going through some stuff with her teenage kids. And all of a sudden we started talking on the phone. Next thing I know um, I'm in a weird, odd moment meeting her in a store that we don't even shop at together. And she wants to write this article. She was a writer for the local newspaper. She wants to write this article on me and all the advice I kept giving her. And she kept saying, You have books in you. And I'm like, What are you talking about? I'm just talking. I don't even know what you're talking about. And I had really shunned that idea of writing a book. I said, Do you see the bookstores? They're filled with books. No one needs another book. And and so literally, all of a sudden, I remember she invited me to a luncheon, and I'm sitting there, and the next thing I know, I signed a contract to write this book and self-publish it, and I even remember telling my husband, I think I'm supposed to write this book, and he was like, well, okay, and, and so I started writing the book. The book that came out, this one, is not what I intended. I had this whole other vision. I even went and talked to the self-publishing people about that vision. And the next thing I know, I'm writing and these stories are coming and these words are coming. And twice I had to shut it down. I I put it in a folder and put it away because it scared me that what was coming out was so profound and I didn't know what to do with it. And so Mm. their advice was great. Just keep getting it out. And so I finally, I had to do a lot of surrendering, a lot of walks in the world, a lot of Praying, um, I had a I had a prayer that I finally started saying because I, I knew at one point this is way bigger than what I had envisioned. So my prayer was, God, help me get the words on the paper to write Coming Home. I always knew the book was gonna be called Coming Home. I didn't know anything else about it. And I said, help me get the words on the paper and help it heal me and help it heal everyone else. And I'll do your work. And then I just surrendered to it. I can remember writing with Kleenex piles everywhere because the more I would write, the more I would cry, the more I would write, the more I would cry. And I just kept thinking, wow. And then I was struggling to end the book. And again, a synchronistic moment where this man showed up and gave me the language. And I knew that my cousin was there with me and because the wording was so perfect and it sent me right to the laptop and I wrote the ending. And I was even blown away when I got to the ending. I was like, that's how we're ending that. Wow. It was such a profound healing.
0: So, And your book is so well written and I enjoyed it so much. It's wonderful. Full of insights. I recommend it to everyone who's going to be listening to our, to our interview. What do you refer to as home? When you say coming home, is that coming home to who you are? How do you see home?
1: Yes. So, so, in the beginning, when I kept saying to people, I, I think I'm going to write this book, and they'd say, oh, really? What's the title? And I'd say, coming home. It's like coming back to yourself, coming to who you really are, and, and you only can find your life by tuning into that part of you, and at the time, I would say that. I didn't really even know who I was. I was in a turmoil, kind of like a, a tornado, per se where i could feel all different kinds of things coming in some were not so pretty some were downright nasty things i felt but i there was a part of me that i think always knew that coming home is really cuz when we think of homes right we think of these safe um places where we can all be together so there's joy there's laughter there's fun there's peacefulness there's calmness we decorate it pretty which means it feels good to be there and so um I knew that there was a part of coming home was really like tuning in to who you really are and that you have to find strength in that. At the time, I don't think I even realized it was ego and soul or any of that other stuff that came out as I was writing. It was just that I understood that there was this, this euphoria that happens when you
0: tune in to that sacredness within yourself. Wow. That's where it started. Wow. Well, you, like I, went from being a skeptic to a highly spiritual person because we each had a profound spiritual awakening. How did that transformation happen for you? Well, it's pretty interesting because um, I had, just the
1: other day, someone said to me, you're so spiritual right now. And the funniest thing is I've always been that, but I hid that from so many people. So I grew up Catholic. Um, I went to Catholic grade school I grew up Catholic, so going to church and doing all that church stuff was always a part of it. Um, I think when I got to college is when I kind of started understanding there's a relationship here that should happen, and it's not so much about going to church. It's more about what's this relationship happening here. Um, God was always like this big entity, and, and to be honest, growing up Catholic, I was a little scared of that, that kind of thinking. Um, but it wasn't until I got to college. and in the book, I talk a lot about the events that yes. happened right before I left for college. So I was kind of showing up to college very broken, very torn apart, not really knowing anything about who I was, and feeling like my whole life was shattered. Um, and and it was like learning that relationship and just just starting to tune in when things would happen, the bad moments would happen or the icky moments would happen. Just kind of starting to tune in a little bit. and then, And then it was like, I just started, things would happen in my life and I'd start to pray a little bit more. And the more I would pray, the more I would kind of get, oh, feel better about things and feel that sense of, okay, I understood that when I talk this way to whoever this God is, that that there's this calm feeling that comes over me, a peaceful feeling. Okay, I started to see that little synchronicity. And so I do that more. And really it was when I became a mom, I mean, the whole thing of mom thing just kind of freaked me out. Because again, when I had my first son, it triggered, it triggered that feeling I had from my own experience with my own father and my, my upbringing. And so I prayed a lot, I just kept praying. And I kept offering things up. And I kept just saying, I don't know what I'm doing here, but you're gonna need to help me right here. And this is a little overwhelming. And then, and then as things kept happening, I just kept getting closer and closer. And Literally, I think I understood the whole idea of spiritual spirituality was when I was I sat there that day and heard, you need to walk away from your career. And I thought, what? Like, this is who I am. How are you asking me to walk away from who I am? What are you talking about? And there was like this inner battle that went on. and And the next thing I know, it's like I'm starting to unfold these opportunities where I'm hearing about God being more like the universe and things right. like bigger, bigger, higher consciousness, and all this language that kept coming in. And I would just sit with it and I just kept opening and opening and opening and opening and opening, and opening to it. And the more I opened to it, the more I started resonating and really tuning into who I was. So it was like this combination of getting stronger in who I was and then just learning that surrender had the answers for what I needed at the time, and that there was this part of me being human and part of me being this soul that just needed this higher power, this bigger um, conscious feeling that had to be a part of everything. And so I, I surrendered to it and said, okay, I give it I give it up to you. And really, it makes me more happy. It makes me more joyful.
0: And it's a lot of fun. It, it is amazing. a lot of fun, and yes. you meet amazing people. You meet amazing, amazing people. Yes, They're yes. Positive kind of people who are working through their stuff. Yes, just own your shit. That's my little phrase. Own your <laughs> shit. Right, and let's get farm. rid of it. Why do you have to suffer and sit in your swamp?
1: Yes, we all have it. We're all we all got shitty things. Just own it and let's move on. That's right.
0: really our mantra in our house: own your shit and let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Um. Let me ask you this. How did you get that message? Because I got a message also, as you know, that came into my head after the accident when it said, uh, you know, you have to move on um, and all that. Was it a voice? Was it a strong thought in a meditation? How did that appear to you? You know, it's come a lot of different ways, honestly.
1: Um, I, I would say probably the one – well, there are a couple things that stand out, so I'll, I'll go through those. The first one was um, – you know, I prided myself on being like this spectacular mom. Not that I thought I was perfect by any means because I have, so. I'm like, I always joke that I'm going to be up for the like, failure of the year award because like I have more failures than, than successes, but I always felt I was grounded in seeing my kids for who they were and working through my own stuff and separating it out. And so when my older son was in middle school and you know those middle school years are awful for our teenagers and for us as parents and it was in that moment that i and i write about this this experience in the book where i'm literally torn and i mean i would show up to functions crying people to this day will say i remember you back then you were so sad and i was i just was like what is going on my family is breaking apart my husband was angry at the time because My older son was just in this awful spot and the kids were all, I had four of them and they were all it. and it was just tough. And I remember out walk, I just loved my walks out in nature. I just take these walks. I put music in. It would, it would take me away into another place. And I'm literally on this walk and I stumble upon something on the ground and it was in the shape of a heart. And that moment was like, oh my gosh, something just happened to me. Like I get that here I am, and here's this moment, and I believed in that heart. Well, then I started seeing them more and more and more. I mean, I would be walking in Chicago with my kids, and I'd look down at the ground, and I'd see a gum wrapper folded up in the shape of a heart. So I literally was like, oh, my gosh. I was in New York City with my second son on a trip, and we're walking in this tunnel, and I look over, and on the wall was this chart that was painted. And I just kept finding them. And one time I was sitting at the pool and I was mad at all four of my kids. They were all icky at the time, like we all are. And I looked up and the cloud was just in the shape of a heart. And I went, okay, you're telling me something here. You're definitely telling me something that that I've got to figure this out, what this means. There have been other moments that I heard a voice. And the voice was very, um, you and I have talked about this, like, the voice just seemed loving and it seemed kind and it seemed like it was talking in my ear and no That's one else. What I got, mm-hmm. And the voice said, um, we're going to do this different. And I knew that that meant I can't do it like society wants me to do. I have to live this different. And that meant I have to live a surrendered life, which is really what consciousness is all about. It's just, just letting it go and watching for all those synchronicities. So it's coming in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's messages. I pay attention to how, what the words are and how often. So like if I read an article and it has this language and I kind of get the chills when I read it, and then all of a sudden I meet someone in the grocery store and they say the same language, I go, wait a minute, I've heard that twice now. That's got to mean something. So I look for those synchronicities. And then even when I'm not looking for them, I think there's a, a, a part of me that's always paying attention to that. And that's I look
0: that all up. Because a lot of people kind of sleepwalk through their lives and they don't really, they don't realize that they're getting guided. Um, They're listening to voices around them. They're not listening to the voice coming into within them.
1: And I by no means think that I'm like this special thing. I think all of this. I think we all can get it. It is there for anybody who wants to live a different life, a more peaceful existence.
0: Absolutely. I know a lot of people listening to this are already relating to what we're talking about and, uh, but a lot of people will want to hear how you learned about shame because a lot of people walk around about with shame. I mean, I, I, you know, those of us who have abusive parents, they teach us different things that, that bring us shame. And how did you reject it? And how did it lead to a new you? This is a really important subject for people.
1: Yeah, it really is. And shame is hard to even talk about. I mean, so I I have my Kleenex here because even when I still talk about it today, it still triggers that part of me that remembers it well, all of these little events in my life. Um, I think a lot of it was I grew up in a very Catholic, stout family. So there was a lot of doctrine you had to live up to, a lot of those expectations, a lot of pressure put on you to look a certain way and be a certain way and act out in that way. So I think that there was always that, that's the way I grew up. And and by no means, I love my parents. I love the way I was brought up. I love all of it because I think it got me to where I am today. And I appreciate all of that. So I don't want any listener thinking, oh, this is about dogging and, you know, or talking bad or negative. No, it's not about that. It's not a right or wrong here. It is what it is and this is how we take these experiences and help us to become who we're meant to be but i grew up like that and so for me it was it was just different experiences i talk about one of them in the book where i was at vacation bible school and and i pulled my shirt up like a little tank top and my mom came flying out like we don't do that and so that little snippet of a moment made me start to go, oh, wait a minute, my body's not good enough, there's something not good here, I need to hide my body, mm-hmm. um, and, and so that was part of it, the other part of it was, um, so I write about the story of my dad in, in the book, and that is that um, the day before Thanksgiving of my senior year, so you're like, I was, I was 17 still at the time, um, he and my mom had not been getting along for a very, very long time, But the day before Thanksgiving, they pulled us into the kitchen and let us know that he was not going to be around the house anymore. He was leaving. And which, you know, that in and of itself, because we grew up in, again, this South Catholic family. I mean, we're this perfect image. We We had people come over. The friends would come over and they loved having our family dinners. And we had all this. We went to church every, I mean, we looked the family, right? And so he pulled me aside as we were all devastated and just kind of like shocked he pulled me aside and pretty much just was virtually brutally honest he his words were i don't want this anymore and there was something that just 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 died that day honestly to be honest it just left me and i just couldn't there was just huge shame i mean i was embarrassed i remember just walking up to my bed laying on my bed and just realizing my life is over. As it's never, it's never going to be this again. Like this is done. And and then being embarrassed because we were we were this family, and everyone came to us as the family. And and now we're not this anymore. And and shame can be built upon even just not knowing, not knowing what we're going to do. How are we going to do this? My mom wasn't working full time. We have this big house. He's the money maker he's going to leave. What are we going to do? I'm in my senior year. How am I going to do like just all these questions? And then, and then because you don't know. And my whole point was that no one was talking to us through all this. this. So all you had were your own thoughts and your own feelings. And I'm a 17 year old teenager who's self-absorbed wow. and devastating. I started being embarrassed. So it yeah. starts with being embarrassed. And then it starts with, Oh my gosh, we're not good enough. And that right. self just goes from there. And the eat, you know, it's like if I had just been been sat with those feelings, and then maybe the next morning someone had come in and said, Oh honey, it's not you, it's not about you, this right. is about your dad, blah, 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 It would have been okay, but no one did. We didn't talk in my family. We we still hardly talk about the divorce and and what really went on and the, and the pain of all of that, because it wasn't a good divorce, it wasn't a good separation. He really didn't come around. He didn't really want us. He he still doesn't. None of us have relationships with him. So it, it's just, and some have tried. We've all tried in our own ways. And, and again, you just have to accept some things and allow it to be as these are ways to move you forward and find your joy through some of that. But I think the fact that no one talked to us, then I was left with a 17-year-old's thinking and feeling and emotions. And I'm so highly... I've come to realize I'm so highly empathic that I, you, I did, avoid- you
0: took around, the, you probably took
1: in the pain of everyone around you too. I took in the pain my mother was feeling. I took in the pain my father was feeling. I the same the way. My and brothers were feeling. And I sat with that for so long that it started to create the stories and the inner dialogue just started and it all went down. You're not good enough because he didn't want to stay. You're, you're not even worthy of him staying you're scared to death. So you're filled with guilt and, and shame and embarrassment. And, and, and then it went into years and years of that. So the stories just grew me in the chapter to that, that it became books of its own. And, and I would talk it, I would talk the same talk on that, on and on. And then, and then when I finally stopped and looked back on it, I could see the synchronicities of all the other events that led and kept happening based upon me not feeling good enough, and right. not feeling that, and there's a shame in not feeling that you are loved, that you are lovable, that you're liked for who you are, and, and you only have your parents are your first teachers, so if that's your first lesson, it's a struggle to change
0: that dialogue. Absolutely, you know, a lot of people, when something happens to them, I actually heard a guy once who was going through a divorce say, now I'm damaged goods, instead of Instead of saying, wait a minute, maybe what's happened to me is this other person's issues that were displaced onto me and I'm still okay and maybe these are lessons to figure out. They, that's the shame. They right away take it that it had something to do with them.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right? It took me a long time to realize that all of that was really just projected onto me. And so the getting to know you and coming home is that life lesson of, finally awakening to who you really are, not the projection of all the other past experiences that were placed on you. And because no one talks things out with you, right? I think now in society, we're more of talkers. We're more communicators. We understand the importance and, and, it, and influence that communication has in families. But back then, that wasn't the precedent.
0: Right. right, Every, Right. Absolutely. It was all the facade. And then we'll get to that because you talk about masks and what the masks people put on. Um, I would love you to explain to people the difference between the ego and the soul, because a lot of people don't know the difference about that. And in your book, you talk about how we allow the cooperation of the ego together with the soul. Mm -hmm. And can you share that wonderful example from your own life with your kids about how you exercise that concept?
1: Yeah, so... Um, you know, I, I remember always being that I'm highly empathic. I always remember feeling my way through everything in life and yet it didn't really occur to me until I kind of really started to just sit with all of this, what this means. And I started to realize we really are two parts. We are this inside person or sort of like the inner self. You might hear someone say, or you might hear people talk about the the self with a capital S or the soul per se, but that's really your perfection. That's your perfect essence. That's the one God created. So any of that kind of thing, you're, that's the energy of just being pure love. And I it do. is only that. It will never be anything else. So any any emotion or feeling related to love in that way, so joy, peace, calm, positivity, any of that is that inner part of you the per- and that can never change so no matter my dad leaving or my mom not happy with something or i lose my job or my husband leaves or my kids act up none of that doesn't change that inner part of who you are does not ever change it is always there but there's an outer part of you and that's that physical human part of you and it took me a long time to realize that that was my ego and it wasn't until I really started delving into like a course in miracles and reading about true, like surrender um, um, and understanding what all that was. So I was living all this without really having the, the deep understanding of it. When I put the two together, what I started realizing was, wow, there really is this two parts of me. Like I am the spiritual person where everything is perfect and blue, blue skies and green lawns and birds singing and everything just works out. But I'm also this physical human, which is the ego voice. And, and what I realized was all along I had been living in this ego. But when I finally started to awaken and realize this soulful part of me, which is coming home, right? I can't be mad at that ego. But in essence, I was taught that the ego is a bad thing. And I don't believe it is. I believe that the ego safeguarded me. And that day when I laid on my bed in devastation because my dad walked out on us, that ego said, honey, I will take care of you. And this is how we will do it. We will put a barrier around you. We will put masks on you. We will safeguard you. We will harden you up a little so that you can live this life. And, and I believe that part of an awakening is, is learning to balance the two. So it's literally allowing the soul and the ego to start to communicate together. So when I notice sometimes that I'm an ego and I do get that way, I had an, uh, an event the other day or a moment with my, one of my kids and I could feel my body. I could feel the physical part of me starting that and that self-talk going, oh, you're in way over your head you're going to be embarrassed again. He's going to totally do this and he's going to embarrass you and blah, 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 And I could feel the fear. And so I said to my husband, Hey, listen, I'm in, I'm in this ego thing. So you need to handle this because I need to go transfer this. And so literally now I just say, okay, I understand what you're doing. I love you. And I appreciate what you're doing here to take care of me, but I got this. I got That's this fabulous. And we're going to work this together. And so I just honor the two. And I let, it's sort of like letting the dark side and the, and the light side work together. Because honestly, that's the real conscious joy of life is the blending of two parts. That's and truly being are, conscious. Yeah, absolutely. And so I do a lot of that with my kids. I, re, I recognize when they're, they're doing things that trigger me, I pay attention to that trigger. If my stomach starts hurting, if my back starts hurting, if I get a headache, if I, if I watch the language, just the other day, I have a 13 year old daughter. So just the other day, she and I were kind of doing that battle. Oh yeah. (laughs) And I could see, I could hear myself that I was just in, in the, in the human part of me and I knew it. And luckily I've raised my kids conscious enough that she'll notice it too. And she'll be like, mom, I'm not doing this with you right now. And I'll be like, okay, you're right. And I back off. I just back off and let it all go because I recognize that I'm in that moment and I've got to get back centered again and get back to to get back home. That's great.
0: Can I just, just a one liner, please, because people, many people listening don't know what A Course in Miracles is and you reference it just really briefly. Could you just tell them what that's about?
1: Right. So A Course in Miracles is a metaphysical text. It's it's a very thick, it kind of is supposedly the, the conversation of Jesus. It's the teachings of Jesus. Um, a lot of people will recognize it as, as maybe close to some of their religious doctrine because it talks a lot about the ego and the soul and love and what fear is and all of that. But it's just a metaphysical text. It's like an enlightened... Um, Was it channeled? I believe it was channeled, yeah. Yeah, it was channeled. And there's yeah. a of yeah, I would say look it up, A Course in Miracles. Look up Marianne Williamson's Return to Love. That will also give you some insights into some a lot of this
0: as well. Okay, that's good for people to know. Another wonderful thing that you say in your book that's going to help so many people. Hi, listeners, listen. We've got, uh, Christy says, Feeling unworthy and not good enough is a death grip on our soul. Oh my God, I agree. Can you talk about that and how do people change that, Christy?
1: Yeah. So you know, when you live with that unworthiness, you you sort of um, you project out unworthiness onto everything. So you're drawing into you people who also feel and resonate with unworthiness. You're drawing in situations, whether it's a job or a community event or, or, um, you know, money or any of those things, the way your physical body looks, you're drawing in anything that resonates with unworthiness. You're drawing in, if you have children, you're raising them with that underlying subconscious feeling and emotion of unworthiness. So you're projecting it onto them. Everything that comes out of your mouth is about as there's a, there's a, um, underpinning of, unworthiness so it becomes a death grip because you can't you can't be who you are and be unworthy at the same time they don't coexist
0: so, Yeah, and you kind of see how people gravitate together like that if they don't feel good about themselves and they're and and they're always talking you know saying negative things and all of that it's like it's like a magnet
1: exactly and when you when you operate solely in that ego you really are not growing you're not thriving you're, you're just basically surviving. And so in order for us to really grow into, and our life, living life should be all about growing and changing. We should not be the same people we are two minutes ago. We should be ever evolving because that's in the the way our species has developed from the beginning of time. We are an ever evolving species. So we are either growing or we are not living. And there are, I believe, a lot of us out there, because I was at that point where I was just going through the motions because I was so in that ego space and safeguarding all the hurt. I didn't want hurt and pain to come to me or anyone else, and so I lived that tightly wound, almost like in the in the bud, like of, of a flower before it opens. You're just so tightly wound in in that, and and so when you're like that, you're not growing, you're not evolving. You're 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 not even changing to anything. You're just kind of stuck in your you're stuck in your pain. You're stuck in your stuck pain. pain, and you're living your pain stories. And if we really stop to pay attention to that, we are our pain stories are there throughout. I mean, when I stopped to look back, I was like, "Holy smokes! I've been living that pain story in jobs in with early on with my kids." Um, in relationships, in friendships, in schools related and community related. I was living that pain of unworthiness. And it wasn't until I stopped. And, and believe me, there's still triggers that happen every day. Of course. Day. You so mean was, you're
0: human like everyone else? You no, know, isn't that fascinating? <laughs> like, hello, we are. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it, it's, it's becoming aware that there's more to you than just the physical part of you.
0: Would people, would you say the way people change this is to work with people to try to remove the blockages that are in them or try to change the way they're thinking about different things? Like if a person is living in that unworthy, they're not actually exercising self-love, they're, they're living in that feeling of unworthiness. What kind of steps, I mean, would you say I, one step could be reading your book, working with, with you if they want, or work with other people? Would you say yeah. that I mean, is a way?
1: there are a lot of ways to work through it first of all it's about finally standing yes and saying I don't want to do this anymore I think you finally have to understand that you are in a spot that's painful and you have to honor that pain and you have to say yes I am living in some pain I've been hiding it for so long so the first way to change it is to first admit it own that part of you that there's some pain there I think uh, ways to get out of it Certainly, you can read my book. There are lots of books out there to read. There are lots of that that offer you tools to do it. There are some people who can do it on their own. I certainly didn't really do this on my own. I kept finding people that could help unlock places, for these moments for me, that could help unfold things for me. I, I have an amazing support system. So it's like they're all my counselors. I talk to them all the time. If you have that trusted source that can, and, and I'm not talking about someone that like, if I would say, oh, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking back, like the day before Thanksgiving was always a trigger because I remembered that pain. Of course. Trigger. So when we got to those moments, I would be crabby and irritable. I'm not talking about calling a friend on the phone and going, oh, I'm so sad today, blah, blah, blah. And the friend saying, yeah, it sucks. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who can really help to open you up, which means sitting with you, And yeah, sometimes working with someone else is the best solution. I know when I work with clients and and those who come to me for that help, one of the things I'm really good at is holding that sacredness for that person. It's almost like I'm cradling them so that they can go back into that painful moment And relive it. And the reason why we have to relive it, which is what I had to do for every experience I wrote about in the book, you have to relive it because what happened when you experienced it is you had a feeling that came up because that's the human part of you to respond to an event or a person. What happened was you couldn't work through that feeling and let it work through your body. Instead, you distracted it because that's what ego does. And by distracting it, it then stuck within you. And that, Im- that feeling became an emotion within your subconscious and a story was created. And when that story was created, you've just spent your entire rest of your life adding to that story. So part of what we have to do in the healing process is go back into those moments and relive that pain so that we can identify the feeling and let it work through us. And then we rewrite the story. That's brilliant. Rewriting the story. We're healing. It's just a transformation that takes place, and it's almost as if I walk up to you and I grab this part of you out of you, and we let it go.
0: Yeah, I, I personally, with a lot of the things that I've been through, and I talk about it in my book. I really, I, I got a lot of help from some healers, and I needed some help. I needed someone to help me to see beyond my pain and help me out of myself to to move on. And it takes a lot of courage. A lot of courage.
1: Well, it does. I had a Clients show up um, a while back and we were, you know, and typically clients come with like what they think is the current situation, the current challenge, the current struggle. I'm working through this. I'm having trouble, whatever. And, and we worked back through. And I can remember the moment and I am, I, I have a highly intuitive sense about the healing process. So not only am I able to energetically go in and manipulate that with you and help you to, to kind of see it different from a different perspective. But I have a highly intuitive sense, so I use some of my mediumship work. And I literally was sitting across from her, and we were talking. And all of a sudden, I had the vision that came, and I said, "Oh, wait a minute!" Da 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 da, da. And, and literally, we talked through. And I said, "Wait a minute! You were raped," and she she had blocked that out. But wow. That vision was given to me, and that sort of intuitive sense, and it was a moment that I will never forget because the look on her face. She had hidden that from herself and her body was reacting. Her life was, was just in, and she was like, Oh my gosh. And so then we had to go back through and relive that for a moment and work, work forward.
0: That's fabulous because I've, I've seen that's happened to me in my life too. Sometimes you need someone outside of yourself to, to see the root. Exactly. Of the pain that you've blocked out yourself.
1: Yeah. And so a couple things that that when I'm working with clients that help is um, it's sort of like when we talk about looking backwards, we're really talking about taking a reflective look. So there are ways that you can take a reflective look. Certainly, we all hear about doing the mirror work. You can look in the mirror and say, what am I doing? And talk to yourself in that way. And, and that's great. We all do it. I highly recommend you can do that every day on your own, really. But sometimes what's needed is to do what I call the balcony view, which is kind of like If you think about it, climbing up a ladder on the top of your house and just looking down and saying, let me look at my life. What's working and what's not? And really identifying that. And that's hard to do. It is hard to do. That's not really working anymore. It used to work, but it's not anymore. And really, how do you know it's not working? You don't feel good you don't feel fabulous. You feel kind of lull and you feel like defeated and you feel like someone just zapped your energy out. You get a cough, you get a headache, you get a stomach ache. You know, you, you start realizing you're doing these little, um, these little movements with your fingers or your toes because you're antsy. It gives you an icky feeling. That's how you know something's not really working. That's
0: great. Let me, ask you this you talk about in your book and this is so important for people you talk in your book about the masks we wear what leads us to wear these masks and i know you talk about a couple of different kinds of masks and how do we become authentic instead of needing those the masks that are more negative that are hiding our essence
1: right so so i believe that there's a time for masks so certainly like let's say um you know, I am who I am, right? I'm not going to change. This is who I am, but I'm a mom. That's, that's a mask in a way that I, that I, it's a role that I play or a mask that I wear. It's the, it's kind of like they're interchangeable. Um, so if I have to go into the school and work with some other adults, I might put a mask on. I might put a mask so I can downplay who I really am and kind of fit in. And I, and I recognize that in that moment, um, I'm fitting in for a purpose for a very specific amount of time, and then I'm going to leave and I'm going to come back and I'm going to kind of center back into who I am. Um, I do this a lot because I'm an educator, right? So when I go to parent-teacher conferences for my kids, I am not going to downplay the honor and respect I have for the other educators sitting across from me. So I put a mask on and I act like I don't know anything about education, and I act like I don't know how to teach kids well, and I listen to them, and I I respect everything they say, and we work with that, so that's a mask, and we we have to put those on every once in a while. The other kind of mask, though, that we wear that that is very detrimental is when we put on these masks by way of clothes that we wear to fit in, um, actions that we do to fit in, uh, behaviors that we take part in to fit in, and that is I don't really know who I am and I'm really not even sure I'm paying attention to anything. I'm just wanting to fit in. And and I did that. Yeah. I don't, I don't judge that because I did that. I bought clothes and tried to fit in. Right. I tried to fit in with groups and be, I talked their talk and I, and, and here's an example. Um, I was with a group that oh my gosh, it was all about like you had to eat organic and healthy and you couldn't have gluten and you couldn't have this and you couldn't have this. And so I went in that world, but there was something that didn't feel right all the time. I'm like, well, you know what? Like every once in a while, i want to go have ice cream with my kids. And, I some and every once in a while, I want a good cocktail. I mean, I want a good cocktail or a good glass of wine. I don't want to be like, no, no drinking, no this. So that was a mask I was putting on to fit into that world and trying really hard. And then I would come home and it didn't work here. And I started to realize, okay, this is not really me. I need to just be me. And that is, I'm going to eat healthy for me. And so it's realizing, it's paying attention to really who you really are and then and then honoring those particular moments. Sometimes we wear masks and sometimes we don't, but the detrimental ones are the ones that
0: cause us to not belong to ourselves. Would you say those masks that cause us to not belong to ourselves is giving too much power to others? Instead of listening to our own authentic voices of who we are,
1: I think it's giving too much power to the expectation of who we need to be or should be, instead of giving
0: power to just who we are. Right, right. That's great. Um, And you also teach that life is our greatest educator, that it teaches us each to love. How do you define love? And please explain this concept. Yeah,
1: so there's a quote in A Course in Miracles uh, that I. First of all, I've always thought that I was a teacher. I mean, I can remember being little and creating worksheets and, oh, I was the teacher and you were the students and I put like little worksheets on my on my floor in my bedroom and pretend I had students. So it was part of me. I just think that that, that we all are teachers in a way if we're willing to accept our roles. Uh, parents are teachers. Friends are teachers. So really, when you meet somebody, someone's the teacher and someone's the student. You're, you're either one or the other. And I, and I love using that also comes from A Course in Miracles, but another quote that really has always helped me was, um, one that says this, the holiest of all places on earth is where an ancient hatred becomes a present love. And what I mean by that is your life is your, is your classroom. Everything about your life is your classroom. So when you are driving and someone cuts you off, that is a lesson. What's the lesson? What do I have to learn from that? When you have children and they are teaching you things, or they are doing things and it's triggering a fear in you, that is a classroom. It is a lesson. When you get married, your marriage in your household and your neighborhood, that is a classroom. There are lessons there. And so your entire life is about what are you learning? And are you, because again, that's the ever evolving part of our human species. And so when when you awaken to that, which is nothing more than paying attention, when you start to pay attention, wow. So anytime I am interacting with a movie, a person, an experience, I am literally thinking, am I the student or am I the teacher? Am I learning or am I teaching someone else something? And it, And you start paying attention to that and you're like, wow, I totally just got something from this person. But sometimes I'm giving something. Uh, a while back, there was an experience. I remember I, I had done something, someone was sick in our, in our community and I sent them a card and wrote a little blurb and put in an iTunes gift card. So all of a sudden, months later, I'm at the grocery store and I'm talking to the guy in the grocery store and he was telling me about, he has a friend that's sick and he doesn't know what to do. And I said, Oh, well, you know what? I just send a gift, a card with a gift with an iTunes gift card. This was years and years ago when we are really used iTunes. gift right. cards. And I just, give some songs that mean something to me. And I write a little note. And he was like, that's a great idea. So I leave, I come back a few weeks later and he grabs me. Oh my gosh, do you remember when you gave me that idea? And I didn't. So I had to go, oh yeah, sure I do. <laughs> and He was like, that was so meaningful. So that's what I mean by in that moment, I was the teacher. He was the student. Right. And there are other times when I'm talking to my daughter and she wants to She wanted to watch this show on TV that we didn't let the older boys watch, but she wanted to watch it. So I said, well, tell me why you want to watch it. And we're talking. And I said, well, what about this? And she says, well, that's your issue, not mine. Wow. I'm the student and she's the teacher. So it's paying attention to which one are you at any given moment? Wow. And some profound, the two characters on the movie are having this profound conversation and I'm getting these, like, I'm getting this little alert feeling. I'm a student and the movie is the teacher. So you're either one or the
0: other. And sometimes you're seeing something and you're learning from that. This is what I don't want to do. It's teaching you Absolutely. about that. Absolutely. So here's another question for you. How does a person renovate his or her inner dialogue to transform their understanding of who they are? Because that's really hard. We're talking about the messages from shame. We're talking about the messages from the inauthentic mass and all of that. Now you say, you know, I could do a little changing, but that's so difficult how How do you recommend the person well, can do that The first thing is the whole transformation
1: process is challenging, so i don't want anyone to think that you just you just decide and then the next day you 're just this great there's a lot of hard work that goes on um, currently right now i'm working on my the second part of the first book, so it's I believe it's a series, and i'm working on the part of the book that literally is living the sacredness. Now I know who I am. I've awakened to that knowing who I am. And now I have to live it every day. And that's really where you get into the meat of and the essence of renovating your inner dialogue. It takes work. It takes work every minute of every day, paying attention to the triggers. So what triggers me? Um, Just the other day, I had a moment where I realized competition was always a trigger and being jealous. And I, would, and I started to sit with it and go, why? And I talked to it, like I was talking to my ego. Why are you jealous of things? Why are you always in this competition and you feel like you've got to be better than someone? And literally what I got out of it, which is re-talking myself through it, was, well, you were competitive because you had to compete for attention. Oh, okay, you don't have to do that anymore. So now it's almost like taking a piece of paper and rewriting you are safe. You do not have to compete for attention. You are perfect just as you are. You are fun. You are humorous. You are loving. You are kind. And it's retraining that part. So one is recognizing the triggers and honoring those, not judging. I'm just saying that is a trigger. This is the way it is. And then re- rewriting that language out. And then it's practicing that language and paying attention to those moments. And, oh my gosh, am I doing this? And I use this um, example with a metaphor basically with my clients that when you you get that, when you experience a moment where you hear yourself talking through shame or guilt or negativity. So like one moment I woke woke up and I was having an experience where I was like, I couldn't find anything to wear, right? So my closet filled with clothes can't don't like anything. I'm trying things on, I'm throwing them off. I'm like, this is terrible. And I go from just because I can't find the right outfit, I go to, oh my gosh, you're so fat. You're so ugly. Nothing really works for you. You don't even look good in this stuff. No one's going to like you. And then I realize what I'm doing and I go stop. So I tell myself stop, and I pretend there's a whiteboard and that all that ick I just I just said is on the whiteboard and I literally visualize myself cleaning the whiteboard off. That's fabulous, Christy. I love that. And then I just re-talk it.
0: You know what? And you found the outfit.
1: And you find the outfit because all of a sudden something pops out at you. Right. And, one, and so again, it's it's sort of retraining. It's like we, uh, when I worked in the school system, we did a lot with retraining behavior, and it's the same way. You have to like you have to isolate the targeted behavior, and then you have to rework and come up with what's that good be positive. Uh, conscious behavior going to look like? What is that self-talk that's, that's loving and caring? So I have to practice that self-talk a lot because I have a lot of shame stories and they've been there for 50 something years. I have to work through those and I have to say, honey, you are special. You are sweet. You are. And sometimes I laugh because I think this sounds like so elementary, ridiculous, but it's all the work you have to do. And you have to watch who you hang around. I can't hang around some people anymore because it just triggers too much of the shame and the negativity in me. And I watch who I hang around. I watch what I bring in my house. I watch what I eat. I watch the clothes I wear because I only want to bring in the things that feel good. That helps with that renovation process.
0: And talk. Uh, I can't agree more. You know, you talk about in the book about how, you know, we go on after we physically died. And you've got this really inspiring story about your cousin who was your best friend. Can you share that with our listeners, Christy?
1: Yeah. So um, so Karen and I grew up together. She was a year younger than me. Um, and she had cystic fibrosis. So we knew from early on there was a lot of work that went on to just keep healthy. I mean, that was our, our mantra and our goal was keep healthy. And we did. I mean, we walked. We did mantras, we did affirmations, we did visualization, I mean, we did all kinds of stuff. So it's funny when I just realizing this when you talk about being spiritual, that's what I mean by I had always you already done, done it, right. I mean, I'd done that. So um I when I had my first she was my maid of honor in my wedding and we were we have so many funny stories together. We would just always end up laughing hysterically and cracking up together and everything was just hilarious for us because we would end up in these monstrous moments of like chaos and just bust out laughing at how we got there. It was just fun. So I, I'm pregnant with my first son and she was with me all the way through. She was even there the day I had the, I had him. She was like the first person who held him. I remember having him in room 10 of the hospital. and so she babysat him all the time. She was his godmother and we loved, she loved him like no other. And so um, I was pregnant with my second son and um, her cystic fibrosis had kind of, man, it kind of, um, it got a lot worse. Let's just put it that way. It got a lot worse. And um, two weeks before my second son was born, she ended up passing away. Wow. I, um, I was broken. I was devastated. I was just, I did not, it's, it's, again, when you talk about shame, there's a lot of shame involved in, I am this nine months pregnant mom. I already have one son. I'm having another. And in our world, mothers are supposed to be happy. And I was not happy. I was the most saddest thing I could have. I mean, I was pathetic, really. If I think back to it, I just moped around. I was crying all the time. It was all I could do to take care of my first son. I just didn't know how to do life without her because every family moment was with her. Every, all of my time was with her. She was more like a sister than even a best friend. And, and so I remember, um, right after her funeral, I had this moment where I thought I was having the baby. And so I took my older son to a friend's house and I'm driving to the hospital and I'm mad. Like I'm just pissed off mad that I have to have this baby and I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. And um, I get there and it was a false alarm. So they send me back home and I'm, and I remember we, it was Christmas time. So we were putting up the tree and I remember talking like, oh, that's funny. You just did that. So I packed that stupid bag so I can go have this freaking baby. And th- that was kind of my wow. self-talk back then. I was so, didn't even know how to do all this. And I think I was trying to prevent it from happening. And so then, all of a sudden I wake up one morning and I realize, oh my gosh, I'm having this baby. It was just that feeling, you know, you're having. And so we, my husband takes me to the hospital. We're wheeling me into a room because literally he's coming out almost like my water was about to break. So they're wheeling me in and I just happen to glance up and it's room 10, mm. same hospital, same room. And I remember like, and I even get choked up as I'm saying it now. I just remember thinking, wow, like, how can that be? Okay. That's pretty interesting. So I have the baby and, and, and I mean, we're all still devastated and raw in my family. Two weeks ago, she's She's gone, and now I'm giving birth. And you talk about the duality of life. That is like, and again, I'm supposed to be this happy, euphoria, joyful mom. I'm supposed to be loving on my kid. And it's not that I didn't love on him. I mean, I gave him everything, but there was a part of me that was gone, per se. And I didn't know how to get that part back. And so I just remember being angry at everyone. But the next morning after having him, a nurse walked in. And out of the blue, she tells me about Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now. And I remember going, okay. So my mom walks in shortly after. And I'm like, hey, mom, the nurse just talked about this book called Power of Now. And she goes, oh, honey, I have that at home. I'll bring it to you tomorrow. Wow. So the next day, she brings it in. So I start opening it. And it's, it's, it's all about the present moment. And it took me a while to realize that she was sending me those messages And then little synchronicity started happening. My older son was two, I believe, and we were, or three, he was three, and we were planning him a train birthday party. And we had had the birthday party at this one place, and then it just all of a sudden didn't work or something got canceled. So I'm literally, the day before the birthday, trying to find something, and in comes this information about this train place. And I call, and and it was like, it was like the lady answered, and her name was Karen. And I was like, and all of a sudden we got in and that birthday party was better than the one we had planned. And I started to pay attention of how she was in my life. And she's helping you. And she's helping me. And so now I believe she helped write the ending to the book because I had this experience, right? I had finished the book except for the last chapter and I didn't know how to end it. And so I met this this guy at a networking event and- he said, who do you want me to introduce you to? And he listed all these people. Well, one of the people was a, a man in, in his young adult life who had cystic fibrosis. So my again, my head goes, Ooh, Ooh. you got to go meet him. So I say, I want to meet him. So he puts us in touch. We email back and forth. We schedule a time. I go. He had just written a book. So I said to him, we were talking. And he brings up this topic about the present moment and the presence, being in the presence. And I remember sitting there going, okay, that's so funny. He has cystic fibrosis. He's talking to me about being present. That's my signal for her. Anytime that happens, that's a signal. And so I said, Well, what advice would you give me? And he says, Go all in. Go all in. I remember being so like in awe of what he said. I went right home, grabbed my laptop, and wrote the ending. And the ending is all about understanding who you are is going all in. You okay. are just you. So it, it's just, yeah, it's a great story. And and I believe that 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 gave me the courage to, when I walked away from the school system and I started paying more attention, I read another wonderful book by Suzanne geisman called Wolf's Message. That opened me up to the whole idea of being heart-centered and that there is an afterlife And then I just started having more and more experiences. And now the work that I do as a medium just opens that up even more. And I see the synchronicities that life doesn't just end because our physical body ends. Life just continues.
0: Now, are you an experiential medium in addition to being um, a mentor for people and helping them to heal their blockages and all? Do you actually receive messages from deceased loved ones for people? Yes.
1: Yes. So I can, I, have done some with, like I've said, some of my clients I've done that work with them as well. It's part of the healing process that I work with, with my clients, but I also am part of a uh, group of six women and we meet every Monday and we hold sessions for um, those who You're like developing develop your skills and developing my skills. We've been doing it for about two years and oh, I just have the most healing soul rendering life loving moments and it's been pretty wild to open up to that part of me that that's in a a natural organic part of me that has just been developed
0: it must feel wonderful too because i'm in that same space with you now with all that i'm doing yeah Yeah. and everything we've been talking about points to my favorite subject living Mm. a conscious lifestyle yeah so i have I have a bunch of things I want to discuss with you and we're kind of coming to the end of our time. So they're really important for people to hear. First of all, they've been understanding it, but concisely, what is a conscious life? How do you move forward to, a, to optimal health of mind, body, heart, and soul? How does a human be? and this is huge, if you could just talk to this one alone, how does a human being rise to a more awakened consciousness from bad, toxic, and negative experiences, which is such a condition that so many of us live with? And how do you raise children consciously, which you've already given us some some wonderful examples. So take it away, Christy.
1: Oh, So conscious lifestyle, I believe, is nothing more than being aware. Paying attention, paying attention to how everything interacts and interconnects together and knowing that literally at our soul level, so the essence of who we really are, we are all connected. We are all the same. That at the physical human level, that's where our differences happen. And if we can understand that we are all the same first and that the differences are the other part of us, I believe we can work through anything. And again, it's connection and communication are key factors in any of that. How do we live a conscious lifestyle? One, you have to want to feel good. You have to want to live differently than you're living. You have to want to say, you know what? My life feels heavy. It feels icky. It doesn't feel good. I want to live differently. Um, I'm always feeling like I have to work hard. I laugh now because I think I don't work hard. I get more done watching the Hallmark show then I get done anything else because I don't have to do it all myself. I rely on higher consciousness, which is God, which is the universe, which is Buddha, which is nature, whatever you want to believe it is to be. I rely on that to guide me through. Um, I'm not pounding the pavement. I'm not working hard. I don't worry about things like I used to. It's really choosing love over fear And it's, and it's really in every moment saying, hold on a minute, am I in fear here? Or am I really in a love place? And love is just this expansive feeling. It's not like, oh, I love you. Let's go get married or let's go on a date or let's kiss. It's really this, this, it's almost like you're sitting on the ground and the world is just like this big, huge, huge place of just open expansive possibility it's never ending that's the way love feels to me so it's i ask myself every minute am i in love or am i in fear
0: i also go ahead no i just want to ask you so all right that all sounds really good but now you're in life and you're you want to be conscious but you're surrounded by negative people and your family they're putting you down in your community they're putting you down sometimes they're mean, sometimes they're hostile, they're doing things. And they're, some of them are pretty powerful influences. How do you, if you want to live a conscious state, how do you rise from and deal with those negative influences for your own well-being to become more conscious? You know what I'm trying to say? How do you emerge like the phoenix? How do you emerge from that and reframe it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question because I feel like a lot of us are there.
1: It takes courage. For one thing, it takes a lot of courage. And if you, if we, uh, Brene Brown writes a lot about courage and vulnerability. And so you have to be vulnerable. Again, you have to say, I want to feel good first. And when I want to feel good first, what's the next thing I need to do? So a couple things have to take place. One, I have to be willing to take the action, which means in any moment I have to say, what am I doing to help me? Or am I doing something to hurt me? It's a lot of clutter clearing. It's a lot of getting those toxic people out of your life. And and here's the, the thing. I don't hang around toxic people. I love everybody that I can. I love a lot of my family, but the reality is I don't hang around them very much unless we have to. Holidays, special events, but I'm not going to go hang around. I don't hang around toxic people anymore. I choose not to. It's a power that rose when you talk about the Phoenix rising up. When I tuned into who I really was, there was a power there that said, girl, that doesn't feel good. Don't hang around that. Don't go to that dinner. Don't go to that event. You don't like hanging around and doing that work anyway. Why do you go to that? You don't want to eat that food. It makes you feel bad all the time. Why do you eat it? So it's a lot of like learning the different self-talks that do go on inside of you and listening, listening to your life. Your life is showing you all the answers. So if I go to an event and I get a headache when I come back, Okay, hello, that was telling me that wasn't a very good thing to do. I don't do that anymore. So one is being courageous enough to make those decisions. And if you can't do it by yourself, get help. I mean, you are help. I am help. Listen to podcasts. Go get some help from healers. Go get, find somebody that can mentor you through those processes of saying yes to yourself and no to everything else that doesn't work anymore. That's really, it's hard work. One is getting connected. Whoever your higher power is, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's God. I don't care if it's the universe. I don't care if it's Buddha. I don't care if it's higher consciousness. Get connected every day. How do you do that? Through prayer, through silence, um, through just finding the quiet. Get out of the busyness and find quiet. Put more, quote, white space in your life. Have more downtime. That's really what's good for everybody. Our bodies were not made for all that on-the-go busyness. Finding that downtime and praying, making gratitude a part of every day. When I'm, in a, when I'm in a bad mood, the thing that gets me out faster is if I can just for one split second start seeing the things I'm grateful for. Even if it's nothing more, sometimes in the morning, the only thing I can find that I'm grateful for in my chaos of a morning is my cup of coffee. And I will literally stand there and go, I love my coffee, I love my coffee, I love my coffee. <laughs> Until literally I feel my body just start to like detangle all the ick that kind of came around because again, I live with teenagers. So it's, it's entangled a lot, but it's, it's finding those things. It's learning how to take care of yourself first. We are such a society, especially as mothers and parents that we take care of everyone else first. It's learning how to say, what do I need? What do I need here? And, and what's good for me is going to be good for everybody else because that's the vibrational flow of the way the universe is connected.
0: So I've got to ask you a question. I'm sorry to to interject, but I've got to ask you a question. So when you walk into a family, you walk into a family event. You've separated from all these people. I call it detaching with love. You've separated from all these people because they're toxic. But now you have to be around them. What space do you put yourself in to deal with that so that you're still conscious and they're not affecting you? as deeply as they once did? And how do you handle that? Because we all have situations, you're on a job and your supervisor is toxic or whatever. We all have situations where we can't just stop being friends with that person, detach with love and pull out. So when you have to be around people like that, as a conscious person, how do you handle that?
1: Well, I think you're aware of the fact that it's not all of life these are snippets of moments so for instance like let's say your job because a lot of people are in on jobs that they don't like but they can't get out of them because that's their financial right backing so let's say you walk into a job and you have to be there for eight hours a day you can start to change the way you look at that job that job is not in control of you you are in control of it so the one free will that we have is how we see that particular. And the more we become strengthened in our own power of choice, the more we can see. So I can, I can hear my boss talking to me, but I can let it bounce off of me. So I teach my clients, let words bounce off of you. They're not who you are. That's just what your boss is saying. And then, so a lot of times it's it's praying. I use prayer a lot, but prayer is not the formal prayer we think of in religion. It's just more about even help me get through this moment. And then I rely on that, that bigger power to kind of guide me through. I see things as snippets of time. This is a two-hour block. This is a one-hour block. This is an eight-hour block. You can get through anything because that's, your life is so, is so big and expansive. I see it as I walk into situations and I see people separate from me. So I almost see like with each of us a bubble around ourselves and we're just kind of interacting. But I can hear someone and let it bounce off of me and not take it on as my story. I can also leave and say, thank you for that learning experience. I can go into situations that I know are going to be toxic and say, what am I going to get out of this moment? What do I need to learn? Help me learn it. And and you'll just be amazed at how that will enlighten you to see it totally different. You're not in these people. You are separate from them. That's your physical part, see? And I can learn to see beyond the way someone is acting. That's not really who they are either. So if my outer appearance is not really who I am, then their outer appearance, whether they're being nasty to you, whether they're being mean, whether they're toxic, whether they're judgmental, whether they're egotistical, that's not really who they are either. So I think you have to find ways to limit it. And then when you can't limit it, you have to go in with, they're not in control of me. I am in control of me. And if I recognize that they did affect me, then I go work through that because there's a lesson there. There's something to be learned that really part of you needs to strengthen and right. get better about.
0: Right. Um, and if if... They're that negative that they're affecting you that much. And even if you're separating out from them, maybe it's a lesson that you need to make a change in your life and exercise more self-love in some way.
1: Absolutely. I believe that you. we all have the power to make our own decisions. And if we're choosing a life, and sometimes we do it subconsciously, we choose this life because it's getting us, giving us something. Well, then you, you're, you've chosen that. Mike. What is it that you're getting out of it? Let's work through that first. Right. That's our starting point.
0: That's fabulous. Everyone's going to want to read your book now and and, and and get to know you better. So I want you to tell us what your healing sessions are like, which you've sort of alluded to, and how you mentor, especially to women. And how can our listeners reach you? And you're offering, I think, three mentoring sessions for people Absolutely. listening to our podcast. So Take it away, Christy. Tell everybody how wonderful you are. Tell us all about what you're doing oh, to help them. Yeah, so um, I, have, I have a
1: website, uh, Peck, um, you can Everything is available on the website. You can get access to the book on the website. It's available on Amazon. Um, you can email me. You can call. You can make appointments through that. You can see all the other uh, offerings that we have going on right now. Um, uh, my healing sessions. Basically, here's the way they work. Clients, women, mostly women. I mean, I've worked with a few men, but mostly women come. And, and really, it's, it's just really casual. I mean, I, I, I say, here's the thing. Come as if you're thinking we're going to sit and talk and have coffee together. It's relaxing. I don't want someone coming fearful because there's nothing to be afraid of. I hold energetic space for that person, which n- all that means is I'm so empathic that I can kind of hold you in the palm of my hands and we're going to talk through, you're going to tell me what's challenging for you, what's troublesome, what the, what the cha- problems you're having. And we just kind of start to detangle and we just work, we pull it apart almost like if a, a in your necklace, you have a knot and you're trying to undo it. That's all we're really doing in the midst of that. I'm, I'm helping you with your energy centers because we all have these energy centers within our body. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taking a look at how that's working, how you're responding to your life. I'm helping you see the patterns maybe that you don't see because that's my skill is that I can see beyond what you're doing. I also get my guidance. So my guides are telling me this is going on, this is going on Help her with his, and then we work through that. If, if I need to use some of my mediumship skills, we tap into that as well. If we need to go back in time, we isolate. Once we find out where the little challenges are, we start working through, here are some daily strategies for working through some of those monumental moments that, that have been painful for you and, and rewriting that dialogue. How do we talk better to ourselves? What are some tools that you can be? be given every day to do. And we look at those daily habits so that we're creating positive supportive systems in our life and creating a conscious lifestyle in the midst of just paying attention.
0: Because our so life electronically to too do to people can people um have a session with you from a distance? Like you're in Missouri and I'm here in New Jersey. Can people Absolutely. I do a lot of Zoom sessions
1: so I can do them through Zoom. I can also do them on the phone. I prefer Zoom just because I like to see people
0: and interact in that way. Yeah. Okay, great. And um, what are you offering our, our listeners today?
1: So, what I would love to offer are um, if you email me, um, I will. When, when does this podcast? When will this? Probably in about three weeks, two, three weeks. Okay. okay. So, let's say that when you hear this podcast, um, You, If you email me, I will be offering healing sessions, a couple of those. I'll be offering um, a couple um, signed copies of the book, and I'll just give it about a week, a week after the podcast, and I'll pull names. So if you email me, I'll put you in a big pool, and we'll pull names, and I'll email you
0: and tell you what you want. Oh, that's wonderful. And um, the biggie that I want to ask you is, what is Christy Peck's tip for finding joy in life? Uh.
1: Well, the interesting thing is I don't think you find it. I think it's always there. So Christy Peck's tip is to be in the present moment. And within that present moment, it's available all the time. It's just like love. It's always available to you. Awaken to it. Like your alarm clock goes off in the morning and you wake up, let it be every present moment. You can choose joy. You can say, I'm choosing joy right now, not anything else. And you just open your eyes. put on your glasses and see it for something different and be and have fun, have fun. Let all those synchronicities be fun to find them
0: in life. A lot of what you're talking about is making these different choices that are more for the positive.
1: Totally different choices, allowing people to just be themselves because you get to choose who you hang around with. We are not we are not made to be, we're not told we have to do anything. Really, those are just arbitrary illusions that we have. So you as a human being get to choose who to be around. Love the people that you're with. I mean, as a mom, I love my kids. They crack me up. They also make me want to pull my eyelashes out. But (laughs) I, I love them for who they are and I try to let that be the guide and I let them raise themselves in a way. Like they know themselves better than me and So I just
0: have fun. That's joy. That's joy. That's so wise, Christine. That is so wise. Well, I hate to conclude this, but we have to. And I know we're going to be talking again. So I want to thank you so much for sharing your wonderful. thank Thank you for sharing your wonderful transformative insight filled book with our listeners called coming home, a love story. I'm looking forward to discussing your second book about cultivating a sacredness of self with you when it comes out. And as I like to say, to be continued, Christy. Sounds wonderful. Thank you, Irene. I love you all.